Well, good morning and welcome to Journey. We're glad you're here today and it's good to see everybody. If I haven't met everybody, uh, I'm Randy and I would love to just uh, say hello and chat with you and talk about you and your next steps on your journey. Uh, yesterday, uh, Friday and yesterday, we went up to see our daughter. I tell you, it's only a grandparent that would drive four hours to spend overnight to watch their grandkid and then come home the next day, right? Only a grandparents would do that. Some of you all know that's how it works and love it and think that was a great, you know, amount of time that was spent. So we had a great time with them. But a few weeks ago, uh, we were up there as well, and we visited the church that our daughter's family had been attending. And we're always excited that they're, you know, engaged and see where they're worshiping and everything. And the week before that, uh, we, we were told that the minister had resigned. Uh, that happens and uh, sometimes causes unsettlement in the church. But we had no idea of what was going on that we were going to hear about it. And so we went to the second service. But within a few minutes of getting in the room, we realized that things were not normal, that we were not in a regular church service, and they had chosen to have a congregational meeting to deal with the problem. So lesson number one, don't ever have a congregational meeting when you've got a worship service scheduled. That's just not a good thing. We weren't even sure what to do, but we sat there, we didn't want to get up, and we kind of wanted to know what was going on. But the room was packed and there was some obvious tension in the room, some strong feelings and, you know, people were concerned and wanted some information. And the bottom line was that the minister and the church leaders had come to a point where they couldn't continue to work together or the minister felt that way. And so had chosen to resign and a lot of people didn't like it. Now, like in most situations, there was a lack of communication, good communication, a lack of accurate information and a lot of emotion, all of which made the church and everybody else... Um, you know, very uncomfortable. And, and those sort of things, obviously, when they're aired, especially in public places, they're very difficult. Conflict doesn't look good in the church. Nobody likes that. And everybody tries to avoid that. But as I kind of walked through it, it was kind of interesting, to be honest with you, having been on the church side always, to be an outsider, to see some of that and see how they handle it. My assessment was the church leaders had done a pretty good job in dealing with this. And, uh, they probably are going to move on and everything is going to be fine as they answer some questions and, and find peace there. But, you know, whenever you look at that, the church, you know that because churches are made of human beings, there's always going to be a conflict. There's going to be issues within the church, within the family, among believers there. It's kind of a natural result, a result of our brokenness and our humanness, our humanity. And when these things happen, it's important, however, that they're handled well as well as possible and that you seek resolution and do it in a way that honors Christ and makes the church grow and takes the next step. Things are just going to happen. Now, I share that up front because I'm telling you, we're going to talk a little bit about a conflict today, and we're going to talk about how it was handled well and how God used that conflict, in fact, to do some amazing things. And I want you to open your mind up because I don't know of any church or any believer who has not at some point had conflict with somebody Problems come up, even if they're within families in the church or uh, friends or whatever it may be. It's how you handle those things that are, that are really important. And we're going to study the book of Acts. We've been going through that for several months now. We've seen how the early church has handled a lot of these situations that have come up that, that need care and attention, both from within the church and from without. We talked about persecution in the church, how those people who were on the outside made it hard on church leaders and even persecuted them. We talked about, you know, Paul was stoned and left for dead one day. That's a lot of persecution from outside. We also talked about uh, problems within the church. And today we're going to be looking at one of those and how they resolve that and some lessons 
about how Christians can get along and resolve their issues. So in Acts chapter 15, it says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So the last few weeks, we've been talking about some of these missionary journeys, which the book of Acts, beginning uh, the, the first part, tells us how the church began and then the church grew. And then the last half, we've been in for a couple weeks now, tell us about how the gospel spread all throughout Asia and going to get into Greece and several other places uh, during this time. But basically, Paul was the missionary leader, and the latter part of the book of Acts is about his missionary journeys. Now, Paul and Barnabas were co-workers and co-missionaries, and they had just completed a missionary journey in the area that we know today as Turkey. And they had preached the gospel. Many people had come to know Jesus Christ. Uh, the gospel was spreading. Churches were planted. Now it's about three years later. And Paul suggests, let's go back and revisit those people. Let's go back and see what's going on in those churches to encourage them and kind of build them up and uh, back through the towns that we went through before. Now, Barnabas, his co-missionary, is all on board, and he's excited about that. It's been three years since we've seen these people. But then he throws a wrench in the plans. He said, I got a great idea. Let's take John Mark with, with us. And you know, that kind of just, I'm sure silence just came from Paul at the moment because this was a sensitive subject. Three years earlier, when they had gone on that missionary trip, they had taken John Mark with them that time, uh, and he, uh, he was a cousin of Barnabas. So he was kind of a, you know, a young man, let's get him into ministry, let's get him going here. He'd gone with them on the first missionary journey. Probably he was excited when they left, but somewhere along the way, John Mark had lost his enthusiasm and he wanted to go home. Now, whether he was homesick I don't know whether maybe it was the difficulty in travel. It wasn't easy to travel that day. You know, there was some persecution when people started getting stoned, you know, people uh, literally with rocks. People kind of started falling away. And so they had, they had all this, you know, uh, issues. And, and Mark wanted to go home, and so he bailed out. And, and Paul, who was very committed and ded very dedicated to his, his work, was very disappointed in him. Maybe he didn't say anything at the time. Or maybe he made a big deal. We don't know. But, but anyway, he didn't, want to have any, he didn't want to take John Mark with him on this trip. Barnabas, remember who Barnabas was? He was a son of encouragement. So that, that makes sense, doesn't it? He was an encourager. And Barnabas is like, you know, this, this guy, we've got to give him another shot here. Give him another chance. But Paul is adamant that he might go. In fact, the Bible says, or Luke says uh, in this, that there was a sharp disagreement between the two. You know, it's kind of interesting as to why some things are in the Bible. First of all, let me say that not everything that happened during these days ended up in the Bible. You know, it, we, there wouldn't be, it would be like a, a multiple episodes, you know, the Bible would be uh, unlimited if everything that happened, every conversation happened. But some things are thrown in there and you wonder, why, why did uh, Luke even put this in? You know, why didn't Luke just say, hey, Paul and Barnabas decided to split up and go different ways on different journeys? And I think the reason that we have these kind of things is that the Bible shows us the, is transparent about the church and about Christians, that we are going to have issues, that Christians disagree sometimes, you know, and we don't always get along and see things the same way. 
uh, it shows us the humanity of even strong Christian leaders. Strong Christian, you know, they sometimes, they have their own weaknesses. We all do, right? It, it also does things, like, puts things like this in to show us how to work out conflict and how that God can use even the conflict, uh, the most difficult of situations, to accomplish his purpose and his plans. So that sometimes when bad things happen to us, it might not just be coincidence. Maybe God is saying something. God's trying to teach us something. And it may even take some conflict or some hard times for God to convince us to follow his will. You know, I've seen that in my own life. I believe that God wanted us as a family to come to Versailles 27 years ago. I think God had it in mind, but we had no idea about that. We were pretty settled where we were. We had lived in a, in a town, been at the church for 10 years you know, we had uh, built a new home. Uh, we had our kids in a Christian school. We were engaged in that community. We were very, very comfortable. And, and while I rarely have churches that come and say, hey, will you think about coming to be our minister? That year, I had two churches come to me. And, and they weren't anything like what we had built. We had a new building, church building we'd built. We had a new home. Uh, everything was very comfortable. We were pretty set for life. I figured we would just stay there forever indefinitely. That year, two churches came and asked me to consider being their minister. And you know what? I don't, I don't even remember praying about it because it seemed like a no-brainer. It's like, we're not going to leave here. <laughs> this, is, this is our home, you know. We're not interested in, in leaving. It was kind of arrogant, I guess, of us in, in many ways. We always tried, wanted to do what God wanted, but, but we didn't even consider it. But you know what? God knew that our time there was limited. I think God was preparing, hopefully, a place here for us, but we didn't know that. But later that year, we were hurt deeply by, by, some, the, by the leaders of the church in an unexpected and uncharacteristic way. And we didn't understand that. I mean, the, the hurt was deep, very deep. And, and we didn't know why exactly. And later on, the leaders of the church actually apologized to me and admitted we don't even know why we did that. We don't know why we said that, which helped some. You know, but at the time, it was, it was very hurtful. It really was difficult. But in hindsight, years later, we can see that God was using temporary hurt for our ultimate good. That God was allowing conflict and injury in us because he had a bigger plan for us that we did not see. And that's how God works. And, we, and so when you're going through hard times, don't blame God. Just ask God, what next? what's next? What do you want me to learn from this? And that seems to be what's happening here in this situation. Paul's planning on a single, simple missionary journey Let's go back and just do what we did before. And God has something much, much bigger in mind that he wants done. In fact, in reality, we're going to see that it's twice what Paul was planning. God said, that your plans are too small. Let me shake things up a little bit here and uh, through some natural relationships, and I'm going to make things happen in a great, great way. Paul's plan was just a follow-up visit from the first journey, but God turns it actually into a complete new second journey. And if you look in your Bible, and I'll show you a map here in a few moments, uh, it's a whole lot more than Paul ever could imagine. Later on, Paul says this, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. God was able to do more than Paul could have ever thought about doing. And we're going to see that God has this amazing journey prepared for Paul. But first of all, let's back up and see how Paul and Barnabas actually handled this disagreement. And let's see it as a model for how we might think about handling disagreements and conflict today as believers in the church. So a couple of things I noticed, first of all, that Paul and Barnabas, they kind of kept the problem on a personal level, 
on a personal level. It doesn't say that there was a complete uproar in the entire church about this, right? And the reason for that is they were mature enough not to tell everybody about it and complain about it and criticize the other person. There's no indication at all that they involved the rest of the church in their disagreement. Isn't it just human nature for us? When, we, when someone hurts us or when something happens, that we go out and we try to find confederates to help us and be on our side, and we want to make it bigger than it is, we want to prove our point, we want to have other people pat us on the back and tell us that we're right. And that's kind of how we function, isn't it? And you know, we oftentimes don't give other people all the information, or we slant it a little bit in our favor so that we look good, you know, and, and the other person looks bad. Paul and Barnabas didn't do that. And they also didn't let the problem end their friendship or their working relationship or the, their brotherhood in Christ. So there was never any personal animosity. There was no loss of love. There was no loss of respect for one another. There was no bitterness, no alienation. Wouldn't it be great if we could handle our personal conflicts like that? Well, we don't see any of that happening. But they also kept arrogance and pride out of their disagreement. They didn't try to make it a biblical issue. Sometimes when we have conflict with people, we try to make it, we, try, you, we find the Bible, the verse of, in the Bible that proves our point was right. I don't know what he could have found, but I'm sure Paul could have but, dug something up from the Old Testament to say he was right, you know, you should never trust a person a second time and take them on a trip. I don't know. You know, we can always <laughs> dig something up to make us sound good, right? But they acted according to their own gifts and their calling, and they saw the matter through to a resolution, and they finally agreed just to separate. And actually, they doubled their efforts. So their division actually became multiplication. They divided, but then there were two teams, not just one. And I think what we see here are two very strong Christian leaders that are working at a disagreement and finding a resolution that made it a win for everyone and a win for the kingdom of God. And that's how we should try to resolve things, make it a win. You know, it was a win for everybody. I see it as a win for John Mark. I'm sure John Mark was embarrassed by this whole thing. He was embarrassed that he had bailed out. Probably by the time he got home, he was wishing he hadn't done it. And now three years later, he probably hadn't outlived that. And he probably assumed his ministry was going to be over. I mean, after all, when you bail on the Apostle Paul, you know, you're probably not going to get too many calls to preach somewhere else, right? So uh, it's likely that he had kind of suffered and was struggling with that. Paul lost confidence in him. But Barnabas, the encourager, hadn't lost confidence. Barnabas wasn't just his, his, his cousin. He wanted to, to rebuild that. Paul was trying to exercise some tough love. He was trying to prove a point and say, you know what, we got to make sure that, that he understands he can't do that. But Barnabas has a softer heart, and he decides that Mark still has the potential and maybe would be crushed if somebody didn't give him another chance, that maybe his ministry would end there. So Barnabas took Mark, and they went to Cyprus, to minister. Now, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, Cyprus uh, was an island, and the governor of the island had become a Christian, and so everybody on the island, there wasn't any persecution, so it was a much easier place for them to minister and serve. The gospel was more receptive there. But you know what? This isn't the end of Mark's story. It wasn't just that he took a great trip and came home. Actually, Mark later is uh, again with the apostle Paul, who calls him a fellow worker. So Paul didn't totally give up on him. And near the end of Paul's life, Paul sends a request to Timothy from a Roman prison. And he says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. 
So Mark redeemed himself, and even in the eyes of Paul, you know, this hard-driving evangelist and missionaries. So obviously, John Mark had matured through the years. He had become a faithful servant of the Lord, and Paul recognized his progress, considered him to be a valuable companion. But you all might also know that Mark went on to be a great leader himself and was the author of the gospel of Mark. John Mark, this same John Mark, wrote the book of Mark as told to him by the apostle Peter. And so his ministry was redeemed as well. It was also a win for Barnabas. Barnabas, instead of him getting to new cities to face new persecution that Paul would have, he went to establish churches. You know, here's the thing about encouragers. Encouragers are normally soft-hearted people. And, and they can get hurt as well. You know, they can be hurt pretty badly. You're trying to encourage people and you get attacked like that. Paul was a hard driver. Barnabas was probably a little soft-hearted. And, and you know, he probably was hurt by some of this missionary work that he'd been with, with Paul. So he took Mark to a ministry of edification, which was his gift. Barnabas had originally come alongside Paul, if you remember, and brought him up because Paul was new and everybody, you know, was skeptical of his character. But Barnabas came along and kind of encouraged him to be a part of the, for the church to receive him and, and respect him and acknowledge him. And now Paul was firmly established among the believers in the church. In the beginning of their relationship, they had been referred to as Barnabas and Paul, but now they're Paul and Barnabas because Paul is obviously the leader. And Paul doesn't need Barnabas anymore like he had before and certainly like Mark did. It was a win for Barnabas. It was also a win for Silas. You know, the first time that we hear about Silas is he's mentioned in Acts chapter 15, verse 32, and it says there he is described as a prophet and a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And if you notice that, he was chosen to go with Paul back to Antioch to share the good news about what the council of Jerusalem had decided, that Gentiles didn't have to become Jews before they became a Christian. That was great news to the Gentiles. So Paul chose Silas to go along with him. And Paul's original plan was that they were just going to go back through and retrace their steps from the first missionary journey. But now it's replaced with a really ambitious plan that was double the first plan. It was a whole lot more than what Paul had imagined they, they were going to do. They were going to go to some brand new territory to spare the gospel. Silas would be a better companion alongside of Paul because Silas was also a Roman citizen like Paul was. In those days, citizenship mattered. Nationality was important. They were both Jews, but they were both Romans as well. And so they could go places that Barnabas would not have been able to go. For example, at one point, they're arrested in Philippi, and they protested because they were both Roman citizens. They had no right to, be, to arrest them, and they stood up for themselves. Had Barnabas been there, it would have been a little more complicated. Silas was also a prophet, mentions that, and so he carried that authority with him. So his gifts and his ministry were just like Paul needed for the trip. And one other thing I observed there is that Silas must have been a pretty good singer because at one point in Philippi, they held a hymn sing in, the, in a prison. I'm not sure Paul would have done that on his own, right? So it's always good to have a worship leader with you when you're out doing mission work. Later on, Paul calls him a faithful brother. And Silas is actually listed as the co-author of the books of First and Second Thessalonians. So Silas has kind of moved into leadership by this conflict that came up between Paul and Barnabas. And all of this was a great example of how Christians can disagree and how they can handle it with love and how that God uses the outcome in a great way. The reality is that we're always going to have conflict and disagreement with people. 
Conflict is always there, but examples like this show us how to resolve that conflict in ways that honor Christ and then move the gospel forward. You know, one of the great themes of the book of Acts is the theme of unity in the midst of diversity. And this was important because the Jewish people had always had access to God, but now Gentiles were being brought in and the gospel was being spread into places that they never had had a chance to hear about a relationship with God. And the early leaders there had different skills and gifts, but they offered those gifts up and God used them in great way to share the message of Jesus Christ. And they protected their unity even though they were different. And when they disagreed, they respected each other and they pushed for resolution. They didn't let it fester. They didn't become bitter about it. They didn't complain and draw other people in. They instead just found other ways to use their gifts. You know, there's a great principle I think that comes from this, and that, that is don't take everybody who disagrees with you off your prayer list. Don't take everybody that disagrees with you. You know, they must be wrong because we disagree on this. You need to connect with people, and, and they may be right, and you could be wrong potentially on this, or maybe you're both wrong or you're both right, you know? Just don't give up on people. There needs to be reconciliation and healing. You know, the Bible gives us a great example to follow whenever we have conflict with other Christians. In fact, Jesus himself gave it to us in the book of Matthew uh, chapter 18. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter will be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell them to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. So what, what Jesus is trying to say is that conflict resolution is important. You know, it, it needs to be done if it can be done. And especially when there's sin in this. Now, in this case, there was no sin, but there was disagreement. But it's important to resolve conflict. Now, this is not for minor slurts, uh, slights and hurts. This is not just, I didn't like the way they looked at me. I'm going to go talk to him about it. You know, I don't think that's what it needs to be. But it's for someone who has clearly sinned and someone loves them enough to go to them and help make things right again. Because most conflicts can really be resent, resolved one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, but if that person refuses, then there are additional steps that are to be taken here with the goal always being repentance and, and restoration. Never to be punishment, never to embarrass or to shame someone, but simply to restore them. And the relationship and the conflict between Paul and Barnabas was resolved just between the two of them, and God got all the glory. Got all the glory. You know, even though this disagreement separated the ministries of Paul and Barnabas, two Christian leaders, the result was powerful. Just read through that section. We're not going to cover all the, all the, the book there, but there were some incredible things that happened there. And it's evident that God was working out his plan all along. His plan was for Barnabas to disciple Paul and for Paul, excuse me, disciple Mark and for Paul to disciple Silas and actually double their effectiveness. Paul and Silas also went into areas like Asia and Thrace and Macedonia and Philippi and Athens and Thessalonica and Ephesus and Cyprus. In fact, there's a map up there that shows you the arrows of the, the second journey. If you remember the first journey, it was like half that. They did so much more on this trip, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next week, but just to kind of give you an idea how much work they had done. And it was also on this trip that Paul met Timothy, who became his protege and ministry partner. Now, I think this is kind of cool because, and I identify with this a little bit, because a few years ago, <clears throat> I got a chance to visit a couple of these cities that are on the map. 
I traveled to modern-day Bulgaria to visit one of our missionaries. We spent about uh, a week there. And we went down into Greece, which is where Thessalonica and Philippi are located. And, uh, you know, Thessalonica, it really is a modern city. You would never know it was a biblical city. There are little, if any, ancient ruins around there anywhere. There's just nothing, hardly, that we saw uh, that you would know that it was an old city. But Philippi, on the other hand, is not a modern city at all. In fact, Philippi still exists, but it's nothing but ruins. They're doing archaeological um, exploration there, nothing but ruins. But it was amazing to walk in through the streets where the Apostle Paul had, had walked. And that's pretty crazy when you think about it, that thousands, a couple thousand years ago, that Paul was there in the amphitheater. You know, uh, I won't bore you with pictures, but it's pretty cool to see uh, the places that they're, that they're unearthing that these things aptly, actually happened. And we went outside the town um, to a little river there. It's actually more of a little creek uh, where Lydia, a uh, seller of purple, was out there. She was... Um, uh, you know, gathered some believers together to worship and started a church out there. And also uh, the Philippian jailer, uh, the place, the supposed jail where they, Paul and, and Silas were held in prison there and, uh, and what God had done in that place. You know, it's amazing just to, to visit those places. I know Tony's been to Israel, never been that far over, but it was pretty cool to see some of these cities. And it's also the, cool to know, and let me give you one more story from their journey uh, it's a little bit later in the, uh, the chapter there. About, it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They were in prison and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. And once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer tucked them and washed their wounds. And immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This is the kind of things that happen whenever people are faithful. Amen. And had Paul and Barnabas kind of, you know, agreed not to go at all, or if they had, you know, stayed home and quarreled or whatever, this never would have happened. But this and so many other people came to know Jesus. This happened because they were faithful. And this miracle gave them a chance to talk about Jesus and bring a whole family to salvation. You know, that's what it's all about. That's what the missionary journeys of Paul was about. And that really is what it's all about today. Whether it happens in local churches, whether it happens at Christian Student Fellowship or in India or Africa or Haiti or wherever it may be, that we have a part of that. It's all about people coming to know Jesus. And the same response, the same message that we preach is the message they preached. And the same response leads to salvation. Amen. Where they said, what do we do to be saved? And Peter said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. To believe, repent of your sins, confess him as Lord and be baptized. They baptized them that same hour that, of the night. You know, this is a story, I think, of reconciliation and of healing. And when you think about it, that's what the Bible's all about. Amen. Stories are told in different ways, but just healing and restoration, the story of man's brokenness 
God's love, God sending Jesus into the world to come down and save, and then people telling others about Jesus Christ, which is the mission that we have today. And the invitation I give to you today as well, that all of us are invited to come to Jesus, lay down our sin, our brokenness. You know, when we have to deal with it ourselves, we need to do it in a way that honors him. But bottom line is that we're all going to keep doing those, making those mistakes, and we all need Jesus to forgive us. And this morning, if you don't have a relationship with him or you want to talk about your next step on the journey, or maybe just want somebody to pray with you, we're going to be up front during this next song. And maybe if God's tugging at your heart in some way, it's time for you to come up and seek some of that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this day. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, God, as we get into your word, we just see real people who are broken, even the best uh, leaders in the church, God. We see their, their brokenness and their failures, but they were willing to be humble and to come to you and handle their issues in a right way. And God, you get all the glory. Father, we're grateful to you that, that you looked down and saw us in our brokenness and that you were willing to give Jesus to come so that he might live a perfect life and then he might die a sacrificial death so that we could be healed and restored. And Father, while it's always important to be reconciled to one another, may all of us see how important it is to be reconciled to you and that only can be done through Jesus. And Lord, we ask all these things in his powerful name. Amen.